So, Matt, tell me about the time your dad gave you an emerald mine. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to talk about it, really. Um, yeah. I mean, it, was only, it was only a small emerald mine. In fact, you know, it's so small, I barely even remember it. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, my dad, my, my dad uh, drove trucks and then um, was the transport manager of a waste paper factory. Um, Did you get much free paper? He got he got a lot of um, chucked to a porno max actually. So this was, was very this was very formative for you then. I don't I didn't know this was a therapy session. <laughs> so Matt, how did your dad's porno mags affect you mentally? Oh, <laughs> uh, you have to ask me that on when we're not recording on the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, no, seriously, it was it was really like he he occasionally used to go to his factory and uh, like. Literally, to be walking around, and you would literally be knee like knee deep in in like nineteen eighties porno max that had been chucked away. They were like pulped up. He was like, "Don't look, don't look down, don't look down." I got I got a cool Sex Pistols poster actually, like off the floor of his uh, of his waste paper factory. Mm-hmm. Just think, all those porno mags were turned into leaflets for Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, there's probably quite a lot of them in there as well. <laughs> but like weirdly enough, we're living through the uh, oncoming reappraisal of uh, glamour models in the two thousands. Which I thought you were not- say we're living we're living through the ongoing reappraisal of Margaret Thatcher. Oh well, we're definitely living through that. <laughs> a lot of people who love Margaret Thatcher don't want to admit it, and I hope they all burn. <laughs> Oh. Tell us, like, you're, with your new leather, with your new knee-high leather boot collection, you're bringing the eighties. You're bringing the eighties back. Um, lot of those, lot of those, lot of those boys had things for Thatcher, man. <laughs> I'm bringing back, you know, the the Rob Halford look. Yeah, exactly. Who knew? Who knew he was gay? Yeah, n- n- don't don't look at any of the lyrics of any Judas Priest song. <laughs> um, but yeah. You're very welcome to Beneath the Skin. No, we're not talking about 80s porno beneath, mags or Beneath the boot beneath the motorcycle boots. Little bit of little bit of ankle on display today. <laughs> uh we are the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing man. It's just like laughing into his hands. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Thomas Omani, and I am joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Matt Lauder. Um, we Hello. have a couple of we have a couple of announcements up front on this show. It's our one year anniversary. We, well, it was last week, but we forgot to because I was busy and Matt had to record yeah, on and, his own. And, and thank you, by the way, for um, fixing the audio that I recorded half of that on the wrong microphone. Yeah, um, mi- midway through, because like I texted Matt, I was like, "When are you recording?" And he was like, "Soon." This is at like half nine at night. And then I get a text at half ten. It was like, fuck, I'm after recording half of it through my headphones. It was my webcam, actually. It wasn't quite bad, as bad as my headphones. It was my webcam mic. But you'll notice if you listen to that episode, uh, which is on the Patreon feed, if you listen to that episode, um, you'll notice halfway through the audio quality <laughs> markedly improving. Yeah. Um, we also have an announcement up top. Um, Finn Guthrie, a fantastic tattoo artist in the UK, had his machine stolen recently. Um, 
they got stolen the other day. So there's a fundraiser going on to help raise money to get him back on his feet, you know, get him back working. So the link for that will be down in the description. You know, if you, even if you can only afford a couple of quid, every little helps, as Tesco says. And, you know, this is an unfortunate thing that happens too often. So, you know, if it happens to you, let us know and we can see if we can help out. And you were telling me just now, um, you've heard about a spate of people stealing tattoos, like running off without paying. Yeah, I, I, I was getting tattooed on Friday and my artist, uh, shout out to Sammy Hellroyd, was telling me about someone who stole a tattoo off him and like went and said, oh, I need to run out and get cash and like left a phone. Uh, that was just a burner phone that he obviously bought in a shop and just never came back. I, I don't understand how you can steal a tattoo and that then like bad go karma. and how you can go back and get another tattoo because it's you know it's a small industry everyone kind of knows each other that is that is bad karma man that is real bad karma that is very bad karma <laughs> um i was also so i was also down in um in wales this weekend so or thursday friday wales? i went down wales i went to see the jesse nate collection and um if anyone's interested, you can go back and listen to our episodes on that. But the digitization of that stuff and the conservation is coming on a pace, um, which is really exciting. Um, so keep your eyes peeled while listening to the show. We'll announce when it's all up. Um, and we'll, we're talking about a series of, uh, of projects and ideas for the coming year and years ahead, putting some stuff on the display, maybe doing some open days down there um, uh, so people can come and see the collection. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, Lisa, who's the curator there, who we interview on a special episode of the podcast as well, is is really doing some amazing conservation work uh, on the Flash. Um, really, really funny story, Tom. So they've started doing kind of spectrographic analysis, you know, chemical analysis on these Flash sheets to try and figure out what they can about how they're put together. And there's a series of sheets that we're are quite mysterious, actually, but they're from Australia in the 50s. We don't quite know who the artist is yet. Um, we've been working, we've been chatting to Brett Stewart at the Australian Tattoo Museum to see if we can figure out that. But Lisa's been scanning these and they've been doing kind of various bits of chemical analysis. And basically, the, the results are, we have no fucking idea what this is. <laughs> Listen back to our episode with Lisa where we talked about the conservation yeah. of items like this. Because they're, they're comparing the composition of these flash sheets, right, from the 50s, 60s, with reference samples from things like the vna so clearly like nothing really matches because these tattooers and we're, we're going to be talking about a, a mid-century tattooer or sort of second half of the 20th century tattooers today in our episode but these the materials were just so random and so kind of commercial and strange and like don't really reflect anything <laughs> that material <laughs> science recognizes at the moment um and she's having a lot of fun like figuring out what all this stuff is, like even what it's made of, how to look after it. Why? Why? Here's a mystery. Why after 60 years is it still sticky? <laughs> no. St- sticky back plastic. Telling sticky you. back plastic. Plastic that probably wasn't sticky when it started and is now. Um, well, that's because the degradation of, of uh, plastics when, you know, all that is solid melts into air, all that is plastic melts into oil. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, like they're having a lot of fun down there with that collection. And um, every time I go down, I see more stuff as well. Um, and we're learning more about it all the time, both with the work that Lisa is doing, but also 
all the amazing eyes of I, I mentioned on the episode last week, people like Terry Manton, um, uh, these these historians in the community that are, are doing all this work and joining all these dots up. So, yeah, that was super super inspiring, and I had a lot of fun um, in Cardiff uh, last week. And one more announcement before we get into the meat and potatoes, or I suppose nutri loaf and potatoes for Matt. Um, <laughs> if you are at the London Tattoo Expo next week, look for Matt. Uh, I don't what what booth number are you? I don't know. I've got. I've got a table. Um, yeah, I'll be selling books uh, and some sh- podcast shirts uh, on the sa- on Saturday and Sunday at the, uh, the big tattoo show run by the crew that run ta- Total Tattoo Magazine. Um, since the London Tattoo Convention that was run run by Mickey Valletto no longer is running, um, this is now the biggest kind of show in London. So it's going to be a really good show. Um, yeah, I'm going to be up there selling books. Uh, I'm taking yeah, I'm taking as many books as I can carry. <laughs> so. Uh, that's why you've been going rock climbing. You're training your back, you know, for carrying all the books. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Matt is a bit um, like a spider monkey, in case anyone doesn't know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, it should be a really good show. Some of the tattooers um, who are friends of the show are going to be there. Darren Quinn, who's been tattooing my partner, Layla, uh, is going to be there with their shop, Leather Lane Tattoo. Um, and there will be loads of other people there as well. It's going to be good. Um, yeah, out in out in the Dock, out in London Docklands at the Excel Center. Cool. So with that out of the way, we are talking about you know a name that is maybe a little bit lesser known to some people, but is you know such a incredible artist, super influential, and a really cool story as well. Yeah. And today, if from the title, you could probably guess we're talking <laughs> about Pinky Yoon. Oh yeah, people have clicked on the title and know what this is all about. We can't keep the spoiler. Um, so I want to start this episode, uh, Tom, with a quote from um, Ed Hardy's um, autobiography, the My Life in Tattoos uh, autobiography, because again, <laughs> it's a theme we return to a lot on this show, which is Sailor Jerry's racism. Um, <laughs> not laughing about racism, I'm laughing about how people got mad at me in one of our first episodes when I said Sailor Jerry was a bigot. And time and time again, I am proved right. Well, so, okay. Um, this is what Ed says. Uh, so, um, this is like in the uh, early 70s, I think. Um, we drove over to meet Pinky Yoon, the great Hong Kong tattooist who had opened a shop in Alameda, a small island on the other side of the Bay Bridge next to a huge naval base. In the back of my mind, I carried a whisper of Jerry's great fear that if the Orientals ever got into the trade, we'd all be finished. Jerry felt we couldn't match their entrepreneurial skills, work ethic, aesthetic reach, or vision. So, like, it's racist, but in a positive way. Oh. <laughs> um, do the other thing. This is also, I, I read about this when I was preparing for this episode, too. Apparently, so Jerry, I mean, we've talked about this in, in passing on the show a few times. Jerry clearly was a, 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 a conservative and difficult man with um, with some opinions of the time, um, but he did, you know, he was clearly very enamoured with uh, Japanese tattooing and and mm-hmm. was friendly and, and friends with and connected with tattooers in Japan and is really responsible in lots of ways. We'll talk more about that as we come through today because this is part of the same story. Um, is responsible for 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 this kind of one one of the people res- responsible for this resurgence of connecting Oriental and Western tattooing. I mean, Ed and um, Sam Stewart 
Phil Sparrow is also part of that story too. But mm-hmm. um, I did read that when Jerry invited tattooers from Japan to come to Hawaii, the first thing he did, like before he took them like home or to the hotel, like from the airport, he'd drive them to the Pearl Harbor Memorial. <laughs> did you know oh. that story? Did you know that story? No, I didn't. Like literally the first thing he made Japanese visitors to Hawaii see was the was the Pearl Harbor Museum. I'm not surprised. No, I'm not surprised either. No. Um you know, like look again, it's com- it's more it's more complicated, but yeah. You can understand what I mean, my grandfather was like this. I think I said this on the show before. If you've been attacked by you know in a in a in um in that climate as well when you know my grandfather was like shot at by Japanese submarines didn't like the Japanese I mean yeah it's not it's not Japan the Japanese people's fault necessarily but like mm-hmm. Jerry had obviously lived through uh, Pearl Harbor and like in Hawaii and had um also seen all the propaganda against Oriental people from the Korean War and the Vietnam War uh, afterwards as well so like. It's horrible. It's racist, but like he weren't the only guy that was racist against Oriental people, particularly Japanese people in the nineteen sixties and seventies. Um, but good on—I mean, good on Ed Hardy. I mean, we've talked about this before, but good on Ed Hardy for um, you know, like calling him out on that as much mm-hmm. as he did. Uh, yeah. So no, so that was so that that's, that's I, I love that. Yeah. So um, uh, Jerry was worried. Um, Apparently, at the the you know, um, he, if he got wind of the fact that uh, that Pinky was um, was was getting too friendly with Ed, we'd all be finished. Um, and then, so Ed goes on. Uh, Pinky was one of the most famous people throughout the tattoo world. He ruled over an empire at his shop above the Neptune Bar in Wan Chai, the sailor town of Hong Kong. He always wanted to come to the states and made the move when he discovered there was no tattoo shops in Alameda. He greeted me like an old friend. He knew my work and admired it extravagantly. He couldn't have been more friendly and welcoming. At Pinky's shop that day as well, I met Chuck Eldridge, who would become one of the great tattoo historians. So he runs the ta- Chuck runs the tattoo archive. Um, he he just got out, out of the Navy and was already prepared with tattoos. So this is like um, a shop in, in Hong Kong um, that Pinky had been running... Um, like basically since the since the fifties. Like he left um he left China. He was born in China in nineteen twenty-seven. Um and you know, like China and and the Chinese seaports, like the rest of the world, was very busy during um those pit that that period. Um but you know, com- the Communist Revolution happened and the, they took over China. They weren't particularly um, fond of tattoos. Fond of tattooing, yeah. And so he left um, and moved to moved to Hong Kong in um, in 1949. And then he ran shops in Hong Kong, in Kowloon, in Macau, in Taiwan, all these kind of Chinese um, colonies, um, mm. and tattooed in Japan during the Korean War. Um, and yeah, and as as Ed says, there he came to America uh in the 1970s and then moved um in 1980 and like became yeah this absolutely kind of again like linchpin basically of the mm. California tattoo scene the California tattoo scene which when i was getting into tattooing in the you know in the early 90s 
um, starting to sort of read copies of Tattoo Time, reading an interview with Pinky Young that's in Tattoo Time number three, uh, which also has an interview with Lyle Hardy in it, I think. Uh, yep, same one. Um, like that that California scene with Ed and and the history there with with Burt Grimm and and all of those histories going back on the Pike and everything. Like California just felt like such a kind of mecca of tattooing for me. It's like what what sort of cemented tattooing and what tattooing was in my mind. And like Pinky's right at the center of that, and is is, is in many ways again as we'll talk about like responsible for creating um, what tattooing Ooh. there looks like. You know, he's this mm. incredible artist who who retired in 2009 so he was ta- he was tattooing from about the age of 16 so what's that like in the like uh, 30 of like 1943 yeah it's early 40s something like that early 40s so he was he was working there for like basically 60 had a, you know tattooing for 60 years um incredible incredible guy and apparently um, there's actually a book uh, that Ed released. Um, I haven't actually got it, irritatingly, but Ed, there was a book, if anyone's listening to this and wants to learn more about um, Pinky, there's a book um, of his flash with little testimonies in it from other people around the California scene, people like um, Leo Zulueta and stuff. Um, mm. Clearly well-liked and and just, uh, you know, even just from that short snippet of, of Ed's book there that I read, a super, super nice guy. And also, it's it's super interesting because he comes from a like very distinct kind of artistic lineage. Obviously, you know, being in China throughout you know the forties and fifties and sixties, and like seeing the evolution of like tattooing at that stage. And you even in that uh, interview with Ed in Tattoo Time, when talking about like the differences in the art you know ed points out that you know pinky's using like a three liner rather than like a five so the lines are finer there's much more detail in them and even you know he contrasts it with the difference between you know japanese tattooing and what was emerging as the chinese tattoo style as well obviously there's a lot of crossover and influence in the design aesthetic of you know chinese and japanese art as a whole but if you look up a lot of like Pinky's much more Chinese designs, you can really see it stands out among, you know, a lot of the Japanese stuff, especially that was going on in California when he moved. Right. And he talks in that in that interview. I mean, we should we should maybe just that's a good kind of segue to this. Like in this interview, he does talk about um almost moving towards that style, right? Making his start, like tattooing Americans largely out of those ports, right? Like places like Hong Kong had been you know central kind of you know nexuses for international tattoo styles like since the middle of the 19th century right since japan mm. made tattooing illegal and made lots of japanese tattooers move to hong kong and of course hong kong huge naval base huge strategically important big multicultural um you know meeting point so it had been this kind of you know pretty uh important nexus point for tattooing and he talks about like starting um tattooing in the American style. So so Ed says, mm. Pinky, so his real name, by the way, is Bing Kwan Yun. Um, so yeah, Ed, Ed says, Pinky, you started tattooing in Shanghai, right? And he says, yes, I started there when I was a small boy. I learned from a Shanghai uh, Shanghainese. They're famous in China for craftsmanship in many things, tailoring, making shoes. And there was tattooing in Shanghai for a long time. Were there customers in those days Chinese or sailors? And Pinky says they were sailors, both merchant seamen and servicemen. 
What kind of designs did they get? In the old days, they got anchors, flags, hearts, traditional sailor style. After the communists took over, I moved to Hong Kong. Um, and then he says, yeah, um, we were tattooing by hand, uh, not the Japanese hand style working tool over thumb on the left hand. They just held it in the right hand and picked the tattoo in that way. So again, Western sailor style pricking mm. tattooing. Um, and starting with that, perhaps surprisingly, right, this kind of more American or more, not even American, like kind of traditional sailor style. But mm. then he was able, after he left China, um, the mainland at least, and moved to Hong Kong, like was able to start incorporating these more um, oriental designs. And it's, it's, it's super interesting as well, the way he talks about, you know, that there wasn't really any shops either at this time. A lot of it was, you know, tattoo artists traveling around and he mentions particularly, you know, like coolies and rickshaw men being tattooed and they would, they'd just be standing on the side of the road waiting for customers and a tattoo artist would go up and say, do you want a tattoo? And yeah, because yeah, these sure. guys are coming off shore leave, you know, they, 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 they're hanging around the bars, they're hanging around the, the sex shops kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me. I've, I've been looking as part of the research for the new book. Um, I've been looking at a lot of um, uh, like service newspapers from World War II. Mm-hmm. So those newspapers that were sort of, you know, news, news from the regiments, news from various places where battalions were, were stationed and stuff. Mm-hmm. And obviously a lot of them, a lot of these guys are writing letters and a lot of the articles are about getting tattoos. And it's, it's really interesting that at this time, and I think, my kind of working theory is this affects a lot of what happens afterwards in terms of how tattooing's um, thought about is tattooing becomes really re-exoticized during World War II. So as we've talked about in the podcast a lot, like in the early part of the 20th century, tattooing is pretty, it's not, it's not that exotic. Like it's kind of odd, like it's, it's eccentric, but it's not mm. necessarily by, by the 1930s is not thought about as something particularly foreign. Um, however, of course, what World War II does is it all of a sudden starts putting young men in India, in Burma, in uh, Hong Kong, and all of a sudden tattooing is part of the exotic like sense of what's happening. And so uh, tattooing becomes foreign again, becomes strange again, mm. in a way well, that I- it hadn't really been in the 1920s and 30s. It's, it was really interesting to notice that as I was looking at the research. And I think this is a perfect example, and you can see how... Even the way Pinky's describing it in this post-war period, like tattooing, he starts to cater in a way to these service people who want more things that feel a bit more oriental, feel a bit more kind of of the place, even if it's slightly confected, right? Yeah, and it's the transition of exoticism from oddity to experience that like rather than it being a curiosity of an unknown world, it is you know, a curiosity of like being in somewhere that is so culturally different and even like physically different from where you're from that it's kind of that overwhelming experience of like seeing something completely out of your imagination. And it's like, this is what exotic is. Yeah. And of course, like the culture there, not just in tattooing, but adapts. And we saw this happening in, in the earlier generation of Japanese tattooing as well, adapts to cater to a market that wants that, right? So again, like in this interview, Pinky says, um, so he was in Japan during um, during the Korean War, uh, in Macau. Um, and then he says, when Ed says, when you returned to Hong Kong from Japan, were there many tattoo shops? He says, no, not many, only one or two or three. Ed says, in the 1950s, there were only a few tattooers anywhere, even in the big cities in the West. 
what kind of designs were originated in Hong Kong were popular then? And he says, well, after the movie Susie Wong came out, um, we did a lot of designs of Susie Wong, that type of girl on uh, Cheong Sam. Uh, the movie was made here in Wan Chai with William Holden. Uh, the editors note the Cheong Sam is the tight-fitting traditional Chinese dress. Um, and Ed says, Hong Kong-style tattooing since about 1960 has been characterised by finer lines and more detail than Western work, three needles instead of five. Was that always typical of Chinese tattooing in Hong Kong and Shanghai? And Pinky says, no. Before, I used a heavier line, but we gradually changed to a thinner line. Now people like that look more, and it makes it easier to see more detail. So you can see, like, both in the... You know, there's this kind of music, this this film, this 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 Hong this Hollywood production of exoticizing uh, the Far East. It's a whole thing that's happening in popular culture right into the seventies too. And you've got the tattooing there changing from that more American-looking stuff with the thicker lines into something that feels different, exotic, and strange. Right? Mm-hmm. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you really like Beneath the Skin and you want to help support us, you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting, niche, deep topics you don't want to miss out on. And honestly, the chance to kind of decide what Thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity. Subscribe, chuck us a few quid. Don't miss out on the chance to ruin Thomas's body forever. Everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo. We all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world. That's why Sanoderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Sanoderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. Sanoderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Sanoderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Sanoderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Sanoderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Sanoderm, healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Sanoderm products or for more information. And it also has the continuity with... You know, what we talked about on uh, the episode on the Patreon about the history of pinups is that, like, the the visual language of, you know, people getting, like, erotic stuff like, you know, a sexy lady or whatever is influenced by contemporary culture at the time, whether it's 
hyper-localized, right. like, you know, models and film stars in the US, or it's, you know, movies that are being made by Hollywood, but made in Hong Kong and Shanghai, all, you know, in Hong Kong. You know, people are in Hong Kong, they want a tattoo of Susie Wong. Exactly. If they're in, if they're in, you know, the US, they might be wanting one of Greta Garbo. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, 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 exactly. And in fact, I mean, again, as I uh, mentioned on our Patreon episode that I recorded uh, in the 1890s, you know, even like tattooers then were saying, why not get a portrait of a of a popular film star? Um, not, well, not a popular film star, popular, uh, you know, popular um, celebrity kind of thing. So, okay, so, so Pinky like becomes, you know, because he's this kind of, yeah, he's this pivotal guy and, and, um, Again, Ed describes him as running a blood and thunder tattoo shop above the Neptune Bar in the Sailortown district. He became a correspondent of American tattooers who came through, particularly of Sailor Jerry. So, um, again, as, as as Ed describes, many of the pinup designs in Jerry's shop came from Pinky Yun, and like th- this is perhaps you know the next thing we should talk about because. So much of those designs that we really uh, think of when we think of Sailor Jerry, obviously he's he's adapting them, but they're coming from other places. They're coming from Brooklyn Joe Lieber. They're coming from Tats Thomas. But like Pinky, and particularly these like Orientalist designs, particularly the way he's drawing dragons, um, they uh, particularly like the, the large a lot of the large back piece designs that he's doing, which is obviously a kind of re-imagination of the traditional Japanese style back piece that's coming through, through Pinky. Um, and you can see, you know, as I said, this, this book of the flash that Ed had has been published. And there are a few books that people have put out of, of things that they'd got from Pinky on Lionel Titchener, who runs the Oxford, uh, who ran the Oxford Tattoo Museum, a big important figure in the history of British tattooing. Uh, president of the British Tattoo Association for a long time. He put out, or there was a book put out of sheets that he'd got from Pinky. Um, so he becomes he becomes this kind of yeah nexus point really in the in the seventies, like when he's um, moved to the United States in particular. Of like that that moment that in the um, traditional he's academic, the e- he's bringing the East West. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and certainly kind of pushing it forward another step. I mean, that we talked about this when we talked with um, with Julia about our episode about tattooing in Spain. This period in the seventies gets called in the academic literature the tattoo renaissance, and I think for reasons I've discussed at length that that's not really a, a useful description most of the time. Um, in fact, there's a you know there was a use of that term in England in the fifties, but like the reason that moment in the seventies gets called the Renaissance is because of this kind of thing, because of Ed, uh, being in San Francisco, being in California and like bringing all of these things together. And Pinky's a big part of that Renaissance, right? Because again, it is a development of styles, uh, a, a real merger because, you know, European and Japanese tattooers have been doing combination designs, for a hundred years by this point, more or less. But what you start to see um, in in the work of Sailor Jerry and and the work you know that's inspired by Pinky is this kind of American graphic style, the thicker line stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Combined with the um, uh, the, the 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 Oriental 
design language and and the and the clash of these like for example pinups with the uh, i mean again that, that's a, a trope that is again much older than this but it comes into a new kind of stylistic language in this period and, and Pink, pinky is like credited basically by pretty much everyone who was there at the time for being a complete nexus point for this stuff you know mm-hmm. and there's a really interesting part in the interview and tattoo time as well when he's talking about, you know, after, you know, the Vietnam War ended and there wasn't, you know, as many sailors around, there wasn't as many servicemen getting tattooed, that there was like a lot of young Chinese guys getting tattooed, being re-influenced by watching, you know, Chinese Kung Fu movies and like a lot of the actors having tattoos in those movies. A lot of them probably done by Pinky or his contemporaries at the time. And it's kind of, it's coming full circle of, you have, you know, in the 50s and 60s, you have, you know, stuff that's coming from Pinky via Jerry and others be getting tattooed on people in the US. And now it's coming full circle that he's tattooing, you know, Chinese uh, immigrants in the US with these this stuff he designed 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think it's no it's no coincidence that the publisher of the of the of the Pinky Young book is is Taki um, Kitamura, right? Who runs State of Grace. Um, they published a book um, of Horiyoshi's work, for example, um, of and of Horichio's work. But Taki like published published the the the, the Pinky Young thing, and, and uh, there's an interesting interview with him um, uh, from last year when the book came out. So um, that you know, literally in the same same town in in, in San Diego. He says, everyone I knew had tattoos from him. Maybe the first five years of my career was a lot of either finishing pinky tattoos, tattooing next to existing pinky tattoos, or putting a background around a pinky tattoo. (laughs) 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 Right. Um, Yeah. And so, like, he's this, I mean, again, as you said at the beginning, maybe people don't know him, like 2003, a magazine in San Jose, the Wave magazine, called him, quote, the f- most famous Bay-, Bay Area tattoo artist you've never heard of. Um, but yeah, I think, again, I think with the work of people like Taki, that's changing. Um, there's a really nice, really nice, so this is this really made me happy. This is a description I found, a nice um, sort of blog post by, by someone on a forum um, who was tattooed by Pinky in uh, 1988, um, someone called Gia Dobson. So Gia Dobson posted this on a, a, on a forum uh, back in 2010. Um, I turned uh, 18 in 1988 and got six tattoos that year. Somehow by fate, I ended up at Pinky Young's Dragon Tattoo in San Jose for all but one of my tattoos. I wish I knew how I ended up there, but memory fails me. Um, one of these missions, I decided I wanted a dragon on my lower leg. I loved the flow of them, the organic nature of the design. Also, I did have a tiny sen- grain of sense with regard to the human body as a canvas. I knew it was curved, not flat like paper. Therefore, a tattoo design should complement the part of the body. So I tell Pinky I want a dragon on my calf. By this time, he's tattooed a couple of me a couple of times, and for some reason, he's taken a bit of a shine to me. Honestly, I think he liked me because I wasn't a pain like 90% of the customers I saw in there. I was quiet <laughs> and respectful, never drunk or pushy. I sat politely and waited my turn. I listened when he talked, doing my very best to understand his horrible English, laughed at his corny jokes and pretty much let him do his thing. Um, he asked me how big and makes a gesture like about four or five inches. I tell him bigger and he laughs. Okay, bigger. You want bigger. We agreed it'll be the entire calf. So I sit in the chair. 
He then does something I've never seen before or since. He takes a toothpick, dips it in black ink, and draws a single curvy line on my leg. Next, he draws four little curved lines which I could tell would be the legs. Then he picks up a machine. What happened next was totally mind-boggling. He busts out that dragon completely freehand in 45 minutes. Oh my um, God. I was in awe the entire time. If you know Pinko, ever seen a picture of him, then you know his eyes are terrible. By the time I was getting tattooed by him, he was already an old man. His glasses were as thick as Coke bottles, but he could have done that tattoo blindfolded. I knew he'd simply done so many dragons in his lifetime. It was as natural as walking or breathing or any other activity one does without thought. Um, and actually, I'll send you a link to this so you can see the picture. They, they posted a picture of it when it was new um, and mm-hmm. a picture of it then in 2010. And like you can see, put this in the chat, you can see um, like how well this amazing thing held up from from the 80s um there's an, I mean, there's a whole long uh, a long post i won't read the whole thing but there's another funny little story here that i really like so he says uh one evening i was at dragon with a friend who was getting a japanese warrior on his calf the design had some nighttime sky in it when it came to color they agreed to do it a blue moon color at which point pinky started singing the 50s song blue moon of course with his accent it was more like brew moon it was the only line of the song he knew. So for the rest of the tattoo, every 10 minutes or so, he'd burst out another brew mood and then hum a little bit and we'd all laugh. When I see that friend today, we still sing at each other with that accent. So there we go. <laughs> um, and that, then, that tattoo is incredible. Isn't that great? Like, even 22 years later, it's still like tough as nails. Oh, beautiful, hey? Like still held up. Um, I, I'm, I'm currently looking on my screen at... A great article um, from earlier this year where a friend of the show, Doug Hardy, provided some scans from Ed's collection. And at the bottom, there's a lovely picture of a young Doug and his dad <laughs> with Pinky. Shout out to Doug. Yeah, Doug's wearing a great Judge Dredd t-shirt. Amazing. Um, I mean, it's really clear that Ed, you know, hails Pinky's influence on... Not just on on Jerry, because Jerry then became an influence to everybody else, right? So um, this is, again, what Ataki says in this interview, right? Like um, what he calls the raw power of Yun's style uh, of tattooing. Um, Like all these amazing, amazing uh, designs. Um, And then... (laughs) He says as much, and then uh, Taki says as much as Pinky's dragons are leg- legendary, he was also really the tiger guy. Uh, Kitamura himself sports a crawling tiger from Yun on his shin. Again, he simply dipped a toothpick in ink, placed five dots in a line, and started tattooing with no stencil. It's a simple design that Kitamura writes in the book has become a staple in tattoo culture and one he wears proudly. And he was also ambidextrous, so he tattooed with both hands. Um, not only did he tattoo freehand, he was ambidextrous. Um, uh, Kitamura shares a tale in the book of Yun walking into a room full of other tattoo artists, unfamiliar with his work. He placed a long sheet of paper on the wall, equipped with both hands with a pen, and began to draw two dragons simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's in that interview he did in with Ed in Tattoo Time. He says, you know, he uses the right hand. He uses his left hand sometimes. Uh, but he got used to using the right hand to tattoo, so he uses his left hand to draw. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's actually, in Ed's book, there's a, there's a story about that um, with Doug. In September 84, I went over with Doug, who was about to turn 18. We went from San Francisco to Hong Kong. 
accepted an invitation from Pinky to visit him in Hong Kong, where he still owned property. Um, we became great friends uh, after he moved to Alameda and he made periodic trips back to China. Pinky and Sailor Jerry shared tons of designs and information about machines, etc. Most of Jerry's signature pinups from the beginning of the 60s were slightly transformed Pinky originals. Um, it was a real treat for to have Pinky as our host. Um, his shop was one of the most famous among natives from every continent. Um, world full of Susie Wong, lots of sailors, hookers, bars, separating seamen from their cash. We did a whirlwind trip to Macau, the Portuguese colony famous for its gambling. We raised a stink on the bus when the driver suggested that since time was getting short, we'd skip the Taoist temple to these murals that Doug and I wanted to see. Other tourists weren't that interested in the murals of Taoist immortals. The driver grudgingly took us to the temple. Well done, Doug. You were raised right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I met with our printer in Hong Kong, who Francesca, who's um, Ed's wife, had gotten a lead to. And we'd used it since the second issue of Tattoo Time. They did a great work. Um, I was interviewing Pinky for an article, and we took photographs of his shop. Doug was excited to be living in Japan, as he grew up with the same sensibility as I did. Um, so yeah, this like so Pinky's also this kind of pivotal moment for um, you know after after going to Hong Kong, they went straight to Japan, and it, it's, it's it's even even then, even when he's not even living there anymore, his tattoo shop is still a like. A stopover point between between America and Japan for for, for, yeah. the tattoo, for the tattoo pilgrim. I absolutely, I absolutely love that. Yeah, like it's incredible, and it's you know it's so interesting when you look at like even his most simplest designs, like so influential. And it's you know we talk about it a lot with like you know artists who did a lot of flash, sold a lot of flash how over time their stuff like gets transformed and like is referenced and referenced and referenced to the point where no one re- a lot of people don't know who did the original like even if you look at like the flying dragon design that pinky did that's everywhere in every shop you go into that has at least one trad artist you're gonna see it yeah and of course again like you know they're they're, they're reworkings of of designs that go back into the 19th century but what i think pinky's bringing is this yeah, is this kind of confidence? Clearly, he understood. Like, it's interesting actually because he clearly understands graphically that that Oriental art, you know, the Chinese and mm. Japanese art. But he is also, particularly because he's you know really spent so much time in Hong Kong, which is this um, hybrid place, this kind of like liminal space of cultural contact. Like, he's mm. living that moment you know, in a, in a really particular way and understands clearly like what his customers want, you know? Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah, I think, I think, I don't know. I was interested, like what, what was it about? Cause when we were talking about what we're going to do today as an episode, like you, you immediately said, let's talk about pinky. Like what was it that drew you to it for the first time? Well, I like the, st- what really drew me to him first was obviously the designs because they're incredible they're sick but also it's like for me i really enjoy tracing the kind of visual lineage of like a lot of designs that you see today and are quite contemporary and like i remember like a good while ago like looking at a lot of pinky stuff and like just like noticing small things was like oh i was in a shop last week and saw like that wing from 
this pinky design on a completely different tattoo. <laughs> but also, like, I think it's a story. It's his story is one that people don't really talk about. Like, I hear you know tattoo artists talk about him, but I think he's someone that most people who are into tattoos probably don't know about. And I think being that nexus point between both east and west, but also that nexus point between the tattooing in you know the 50s that was happening in the US and then the tattooing in the 70s in the US like a lot him alongside Ed and others it's a really it seems like the missing link really yeah i think that's a really good way of putting it um i mean what's the other thing that struck me about him is speaking about him being a missing link in a way all this uh, of course when you look at him look him up in the newspaper archives um he's also a constant refrain in the tattoos used to, used to just be for sailors and now they're trendy yeah. um storytelling because again like he has this perfect history of like you know tattooing in the war tattooing in a naval base and then being in trendy california so he's like i found an i found two articles about him 10 years apart one in 1991 and one in 2001 and both of them are like you'll never guess how trendy tattooing is now <laughs> um, 1991 uh, uh, in uh, uh, the San Jose Republic. Um, San Jose. He was born Bing Wan Yun, but you can call him Pinky. Take a seat in his San Jose storefront and he'll hurt you. He'll cut you. He'll make you bleed. He'll scar you for life. And when he's done, you'll pay him top, top dollar and say thank you. <laughs> for, your, <laughs> for you will have joined a fraternity that binds share to Egyptian mummies and prehistoric hunter-gatherers to the guy with a chopper in his driveway, a group riding a resurgence of celebrity-driven popularity, you will have a tattoo. <laughs> um, I wish I'd seen this article when I was writing Painted People, because that would have been a great introduction <laughs> to the book. Paint, painted People too. Um, movie stars, they have a tattoo. In Hong Kong, you have kung fu movie actors with tattoos. You have a lot of people from the MTV music shows, they have tattoos. There's one, a tattoo artist since 18 who'd opened his West San Carlos street shop in 1987. You've got all kinds of customers now. It used to be how you say uh, from middle class on down, but now you see all kinds of people, doctors, everything. Tattoos are hip, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Pinky there, you know, fashionable tattooing. They also mentioned Roy Boy, who um, Sean Porter mentioned when he was on. Um, and then in 2001, so a decade later, um, this is in the Reno Gazette, uh, where they're talking about the tattoo convention that's there. And in that article as well, like they interview um, Pinky, you know, it's like tattoos are a fine art now. Um, Pinky Young uh, has been a tattooist for more than half a century. In the beginning, it was all navy, naked girls and, an- and anchors, the Chinese artist said. Now I draw freehand. Most of my people, they want something special. So he was, um, he was being like po- pin up uh, poster boy for the, not just for sailors story, for a, you know, best part of best part of his career. <laughs> yeah, and like it, it's funny because I'm looking at this article that it, it's about like Hong Kong nightlife right. in the sixties. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's like you know, uh, note all of the tailors in the Wan Chai photos getting Hong Kong suits was a big deal with the GIs then. Yeah, I met lots of guys down there spending big money on on getting all sorts of custom tailored suits and other clothes. Stereo equipment was also uh, big, big boys, uh, 
or, yeah um was also big guys would buy their stuff there here and have it shipped home and it's like all of these like cards and everything it, and pinky just you know like fits in perfectly to all of this yeah like there's there's business cards for you know um dancing bars so you know restaurants nightclubs uh strip clubs and there's one of pinky's business card right here yeah amazing yeah like also um it, it, a personal interest to me as well uh i have a thing for you know those business the upside down business cards that like you hold them one way and someone's smiling the yeah. other way it's someone frowning pinky another man who was doing that early on um yeah absolutely yeah i mean like th- th- people have some people have posted those on instagram right um uh mark for a pause here because i'm gonna i need to quickly find i thought i had it right here but i haven't yeah in, in the winter of 1972 yun sent colin several designs of full back tattoos these are some of the ones that are republished in that don ed hardy collection yun sent colin several designs of full back tattoos colin's had intentions of getting one of them on his own back but designed but died of a heart attack in the summer of 1973 so um yeah like Sailor Jerry could have had a Pinky Yun back piece. How cool is that? Incredible. I mean, he would imagine also getting a getting a back piece. Like, how old would he have been by then? Like, he would have been he was in his eighties by then, was he? Sailor Jerry, I can't remember exactly when he was born, but yeah, how crazy is that? Right? Like, <laughs> okay, so seventy two. Uh, he would have been uh, in his sixties. Sixties. Pretty yeah. pretty badass getting a back piece in your sixties. Yeah, hard as nails. <laughs> Let's all aspire to be more like, more like, uh, more like uh, Sailor Jerry. In some ways, more than others. There's a big, um, so in that book, actually, from 64, Back Design, can you see? Oh, I've got my No, it's, it's blurring it out. Uh, there's. It's fine, you can send me a picture. I'll of send it. you a picture of it. Like, yeah, this amazing, like, Neptune back piece that he designed. Um just like just amazing um so yeah like do you think do you think people like you know tattooing now has um you know do do you think there's a place for him now still like especially now this book's come out do you think people are going to be um rediscovering pinky 100 percent. like i think most artists right now particularly like younger artists it seems like they're doing like a reappraisal of tattoo artists from the 20th century from like all ends of it. Like you have quite a lot of people who are doing kind of like Sullivan McDonald type stuff, you know, big ornate Victorian pieces. You have people who are doing, you know, like stuff like Burst. You have people doing like Jerry stuff really well as there, I suppose, always has been. But I can really see a place for, you know, I suppose he already does have a place whether people know it or not but I think I think over the next few years especially with this new book come out I think a lot of people are going to be introduced to him as a person and as an artist and not just the kind of cultural legacy of his designs yeah and I think that's interesting in what comes across I mean I, I need to I'm, I've ordered a copy of this book because I I realized as I said yesterday that I didn't have it and I, I really want to get hold of it in in the in one of the news reports about it, it does sort of say you know like he's also kn- he's also known for like you know at the end of a meal people people would get up to go to the bathroom and they'd come back and find that he'd paid 
he'd paid the bill. Compare, by the way, that with this story from Ed's book of letters with Sailor Jerry, where Jerry says to Ed, January 18th, 1972, Hey, Pinky just sent the Chinese lion dance for my back, and it's a Lulu. All young chicks, seven of them conforcing around, ringing gongs, cymbals, beating drums, fanning firecrackers, the centre one holding a lion head up overhead, and one bent over to form the lion's ass. Uh, that plum blossom tree, exquisite on lower right and Kiko on lower left, a real knockout, um, especially when I rebuild the girls more my style. And then he, then Jerry says, I can't afford $30 an hour for work. <laughs> Maybe we can make a trade, sort of. I stick you first, then give you the honourable chance to get even. I'm tempted. This is by far the best thing I ever saw from my back and not too solid. It would be too much to take. Just one little chick at a time. They all go together to make one happy new year. Uh, it would make Chinese in this Chinatown sit up to know who the real Chinaman is around here. Yeah, Jerry, you're the real Chinaman. Um, oh, for fuck's sake. So, so Pinky's got the design. It sounds like he wants Ed to tattoo the de- Pinky's design on him, and but he doesn't want to pay him. He wants to do he wants to do a trade because he can't afford oh. thirty dollars an hour. <laughs> oh. That, I think that's a great place to end. Yeah, well, that tells us a lot about about Pinky. I think about Ed and about Sailor Jerry and about this whole moment <laughs> in time. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, incredible. It is a good. It is a good design. To be fair, it's in it's in the um, American Tattoo Master book. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you're not familiar with Pinky stuff, look it up. Look up. You know. His story, if you want to learn more that we haven't already covered, look up his designs. Buy the uh buy the Tattoo Master Pinky Young Don Ed Hardy collection from Scorpion Front Publishing. Uh you can get it from various places that sell tattoo books, gentlemen's tattoo flash emporium have it. Um it's one of those books that is actually still quite affordable at the moment. It's only like a hundred quid in the UK, uh, about 130, 140 dollars in the US. It will like all these books, once it's sold out, it's sold out and then it goes for five hundred and six hundred dollars on a secondary site so you can still get a hold of this book um for the moment you should grab it Mm. and if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more episodes like it you can check us out on patreon where you can hear episodes like this early you can hear all our bonus episodes including an interview with don the one and only don ed hardy that matt did a few years ago um if you don't have the money to sign up to the Patreon and you want to support the show, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps the show quite a lot. And, you know, have a look out for Matt at the London Tattoo Expo next week. And, yeah, if you enjoy the show, share it with a friend. Yeah, and tell everyone. Uh, and I want to give a special thank you to our £10 and above patrons on Patreon. That is Morpheus Ravenna, Chris Block, Kirsten Wright, Kathleen Burkhardt, Joshua Kent, Jordan Best, Jess Goodman, James Schick, and Charlie Lightning. I wanted to thank each and every one of you. Um, just a note, uh, since someone asked me <clears throat> on Instagram, a lot of people don't know about it. If you want to sign up for the Patreon, you can save a bit of money. I think you can save between 10 and 15% if you sign up for a year or so. Check that out. Matt's book is coming out in paperback soon. We yeah. have loads of shit that you can buy very soon. We have sold out of the Beneath the Skin Armin Dietzel t-shirt, but we will have a new, fresh design in about six weeks for you to buy. 
Oh, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Oh, follow us on Instagram as well, Beneath Skin Pod. I always forget to plug it. Thank you.